Tell me the word. <laughs> oh no! You can't be serious. Can you say again? Welcome to Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I'm Matthew Anderson. One way I kept in shape during the pandemic was by marching up and down my staircase. While I did, I spent a lot of time thinking about walks I've taken from the St. Cuthbert Way in the Scottish borders to Treaty 6 territory on the Great Plains. In this podcast, I'm sharing those stories. I hope you'll join me. Maybe one of the walks will tempt you. Today's episode is about Finland and the ancient Finnish custom of every person's right to get out on the land. We'll talk to some Finns about why they love the outdoors so much and why it's important for everyone to have access to land. And we'll take our own walk through the woods in a magical place called Nuxio Park near Helsinki. My name is Mario Piltonen, and I grew up in a small town in northern Finland where the life was lived outside. So roaming the forests around the year was always a favorite pastime for me and my family. And of course, in the fall, we would go and just pick buckets of berries for the winter. The forest has always been a very important place to me. It's the place to connect to the land and it's the place where I can relax and just empty my brain of all stressful thoughts. And I'm extremely grateful that I got to grow up in this environment where I had basically unrestricted access to forests and lakes and nature of all kind and I could take advantage of the everyman's rights to the fullest. I'd like to tell you a bit about my arrival in Finland. We just touched down at Vanta Airport outside the capital, Helsinki. At passport control, uh, it was the usual lineup of tired travelers. You know how it goes. Uniformed women and men sat inside a row of little booths, flipping through travelers' passports. Everybody was shuffling forward bit by bit as we wound around the queue waiting to pass customs. When it came my turn, I walked to the booth. For some reason, even though I've never done anything illegal, this moment always makes me a bit nervous. Maybe that happens to you too. Can always feel my blood pressure rise a bit. The guard was a Finnish man in his late 40s maybe. No smile, blonde hair, ruddy complexion. He greeted me curtly by saying, Huomenta, which is Finnish for morning. Now, Even though I don't speak Finnish, I I know a couple of words, including that word. Since I think it's always good manners to say the few words you do know in someone else's language, I replied in Finnish, Huomenta, Huomenta, good morning. 
The guard nodded his head, which is as close as some Finns will come to smiling at a stranger. He took my Finnish pa my Canadian passport, leafed through it, and without looking at me said something that ended with Suomalainen, which meant, I was pretty sure, do you actually speak Finnish? I answered in English, not at all. All I can say is good morning. He kind of grunt laughed at that. And then he said, well, that's good. That's enough. Then he flipped through another couple of pages of my passport. He asked where I was planning on staying. Helsinki, I answered. But most of the time I hoped to be out near Nuxio National Park at Haukamaki. That made him look up. Are you coming to Finland for work or for pleasure? He asked. Mostly I'm here to do research, I answered, into Jokamiehen Oikius, every person's right of access to land. As soon as those words were out of my mouth, it was amazing what a change came over this Finn's face. His stern expression broke. Oh, Jokamiehen Oikiudet, he responded. That's why you're going to Nuxio Park. Yes, I answered. You're going to study every man's right, he repeated. Right, I replied again. The guard kept nodding his head in approval. He leafed through a couple more pages of my passport, just for show, I think, and then he picked up his stamp. And then he stopped. Stamp in hand, he looked at me. Are you hoping to get Yokomiehen Oikius into Canada? He asked, with as close to a smile as I think that man was capable of. I'd love to, I answered, but it could be a long, hard road. Thunk. The guard stamped my passport. Well, I approve he nodded. It's a great thing for us Finns. He handed me my passport. Good luck with it, he said. And so, here we are. The Finnish border guard knew exactly what Jokamiehen Oikius was. I didn't have to explain it. I knew what it was, or at least partly, and today I want to introduce you to this wonderful concept of every person's right. It has an awful lot to do with walking and with pilgrimage. Okay, now we're recording. So, my name is Olavi Hepomäki, and I'm uh, uh, in city of Seinäjoki in Finland. Uh, this is sort of the main city of the area called Southern Ostrobothnia. And, uh, this is also called the capital of space because there is lots of white spaces here. I did not know that. So the plains of Finland, meaning that there are open uh, agricultural fields around the city? That's, that's correct. Yeah, nothing compared to those fields that you have <laughs> that you have seen in in Saskatchewan or, or other other places. And uh, is the forest far away then from Senayoki, where you live? No, there are forests too. Senayoki, I know just enough Finnish to know that Yoki means uh, river or stream or or something like that. Yeah, there is a there is a river running through the city and. Uh, it's not a big and it's not a deep one, but uh, it is there and it, it streams and, and you, can, you can swim in it. Uh, now tell me if I'm completely wrong, uh, Olavi, you and I have known each other a long time now. Um, and and my, my feeling about Finns is that every Finn has some kind of a connection to, uh, to the forest uh, um, or to the country somehow. Um, and uh, that uh, that Finns like uh, think of themselves as people who are connected to outside the city. They don't tend to think of themselves as city people. Is that right, or am I wrong? Uh, 
you are right. It's a it's a sort of like a, I feel that it is partially true, but uh, also it has more more feeling than than reality in it. Uh, in that sense, that many of us, like I have uh, lived my my childhood and and younger life on the countryside and and close to the forest areas and. And they have been my every part of my everyday life. But I just realized uh, not a long ago, not many years ago, I realized that most most of my adult life I have spent in the cities, and some of them are big cities even. And and so so uh, I cannot say that I am a, uh, like a country boy anymore. in Ontario by the Georgian Bay and this area has plenty of land, forest and water to explore. It does take a little bit more planning to get outdoors here than it would in Finland. Um, there's a lot of private land around here so that is generally not accessible. Um, provincial parks, conservation areas, those are really great places for hiking and general outdoor recreation. But those areas do not allow foraging. Jokamiehen oikius. That word, don't worry, you don't need to learn how to pronounce it. That term or that word means every man's or every person's right. Over the years, thinking about the right of access has become really important to me. I've come to believe that this concept is a strong point of connection between historic settler communities and the problems of colonialism. Every person's right is, or it could be, a connection from what Northern Europeans have to what Canadians and Americans need to remember, maybe, and to what has been taken away from First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples in North America by colonization and oppression. Yokamiehen oikius, or Yokamiehen oikeudet, means every person's right to do something in particular, that is, to have some limited, responsible access to land that either belongs to the state or might even belong to someone else personally. In Finland and other northern countries, it's a relationship between the public good and private property. In English, it's not exactly the same, but it's related to what we once referred to as the commons, an age-old, time-respected tradition of land use that unfortunately not enough people know about or care about anymore. A couple of years ago, I wrote an article about this, which you can find online. It's called, Why Canadians Need the Right to Roam. My name is Hila Lahtinen. I'm a mom of two. I'm a pastor in the Lutheran Church. And I'm also a PhD student at Toronto School of Theology, working on a project in the intersection of eco-theologies and feminist theologies. I grew up in northern Finland, um, and I was very privileged uh, in the sense that I was surrounded by a pristine wilderness for most of my childhood. My family spent many summers at my family cottage on the Osterbotnian Sea, and um, we did a lot of hiking and fishing and picking berries, and we spent a lot of time on the water as well. 
uh, life changed a little bit when we moved to Canada, to Thunder Bay, um, to northern Ontario. Uh, it became clear very quickly that there was a different sense of private ownership of land in Canada, uh, where most of the patches of forest um, would have no trespassing signs and you certainly couldn't go swimming or berry picking wherever you wanted. In time though um, I've discovered provincial parks and crown land and national parks, these publicly owned pieces of um, nature where uh, my family spends quite a bit of time camping and canoeing and exploring and one of the best parts of my life right now is observing my children as they discover new plants and berries and hollowed out tree trunks or new swimming spots. So I'm really glad um, that I'm able to provide my kids with some of those opportunities that were so important to me growing up. By the way, the Finns aren't the only ones who enjoy every person's right. Other Scandinavian countries have their own words for it. At least a dozen countries have it in some form. The English call a version of it the right to roam, but I prefer the Scottish way of putting it, the right of responsible access, which kind of says it and explains it at the same time. So I, I like looking the the Finnish uh, type of forest when it's when it's well taken care of. When it's when it's not like wild bush, it's just like when it's well well uh, uh, harvested and well well uh, taken care of, and it's growing and 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 you can see through the through the trees and 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 like many trees behind them and and so and so. Yeah, I'm a little bit that way. <laughs> so basically, you're talking about management, forest management, in some ways. That, that's right. Yeah. Nature and wilderness has always been grounding for me. It makes me feel like a whole person. Um, it's a spiritual experience on many levels. Uh, and I experience this kind of interconnectedness and intraconnectedness of everything. I think, though, that our culture and many other cultures too uh, romanticize nature where we only talk about the beauty um, of nature. But I think there's another side of the coin that's just as important, and that's the way in which wilderness can be absolutely terrifying. And I think that's a really important thing uh, for us all to experience, because it decenters uh, our sense of um, self, our sense of control, um, it flies in the face of all this uh, anthropocentrism of today. Um, it sort of contradicts our, of our comfort and control and our systems of power because you can lose yourself in the vastness of wilderness. Um, you realize your own smallness and I think, too, that that is a really important thing to remember in today's world where we're faced with this climate crisis. And so, for me, 
to work and to study um, all of these different levels of um, understanding how humanity is only a small part of um, all of these different systems um, is really the uh, maybe the answer or or at least leads us toward um, a response hopefully at least a partial solution as to how we might uh, begin to live in a way um, that is not so self-serving but that recognizes that we as humans are <clears throat> an integral part of nature and part of this cycle of living and dying for others rather than for ourselves. Thanks to research funding from the Concordia University Part-Time Faculty Association, or KUPFA, I was able to travel to Finland for this work a couple of years ago. One of the people I had arranged to meet was Antti Huttinen. Antti is a writer, an outdoor enthusiast, and a filmmaker. He hosts a Finnish TV series called Retke Paika. In English, uh, he translates it as Finland Naturally. You can find Antti in some of his projects, along with some fantastic photos of Finland, at finlandnaturally.com. Repeat that, finlandnaturally, all one word, dot com. Antti's blog has been read at one time or another by one-fifth of the population of Finland, and he's doing more and more work across Europe and the Americas. He moved from the city back to the country so that he and his family could be closer to nature. So when I asked Antti about Jokamiehen Oikius, he had a few opinions. He told me that Jokamiehen Oikius is an ancient Finnish tradition, so ancient its origins are lost in time. I kept hearing that from everyone I met. Another person said to me, every person's right of access to land isn't even in the Finnish law, they said, because it predates the law. Every Finnish person by ancient law and custom has the right to go anywhere with few exceptions. Auntie called Jokamiehen Oikius an ancient habit. He told me it was, in his words, quote, an unwritten ancient contract that all Finns instinctively know, end quote. It's part of our identity, he said. It was interesting. When I met Auntie, it was late May, and we were in the Finnish forest. I was wearing a jacket against the chill, but Auntie had just a short-sleeved shirt on. Aren't you cold? I asked him. No, it's quite pleasant today, he said with a smile. I think he spends a lot of time outside. Auntie told me that Jokamiehen Oikius, um, it's something that you learn from your parents, properly, from family, and from outdoor organizations. He said it should be part of the culture. One of the things that I found most interesting in my talking with Auntie was how he kept bringing up the relationship between land and stories. If you've been listening to this podcast series or you already know something about pilgrimage, you know that the combination of place with story is exactly what makes a pilgrimage. That link, places and stories, is a frequent topic in my research. We walk to where the story tells us that the tomb of St. James was discovered in Spain, for instance, on the Camino, or where the legends about the Whithorn Way say that Ninian hid himself in a cave to pray. 
This place is where Bernadette had visions of the Virgin in a grotto and it becomes lured. That place is where the waters of the Ganges bless bathers. This spot is the field where, where Boaz, during harvest time, met Ruth. That spot is where uh, Kobodaishi climbed to establish one of the temples of the Shikoku. All around the globe, we make places sacred with our stories about them. Or, if you prefer, places tell us stories, which we then pass on to our friends and our communities, and we pass on through the generations of our children and children's children. Auntie Huttonen told me how he once did a program at a place in Finland called Carolina Stairs. It's a natural formation of rocks named after a woman named Carolina Rat, uh, Ratikainen, who lived about the time of the First World War. She was a local folk healer, he told me. She's said to have used those rock stairs to go to her cottage or her smokehouse about a, a mile from the cliff. The place and the story go together. Auntie told me that uh, a lot of the stories he investigates are from 19th and 20th century uh, places and stories, like the ones about Finns hiding from Russians during the war, for instance. Some are more ancient, dating back to the first human habitation of Finland. There are uh, Asami and Old Finnish stories. The Sami are a northern indigenous people. Auntie told me how they, they shot an episode north of the Arctic Circle at an unusual lake which is sulfurous and hasn't got any fish. From time immemorial, the Sami who live there have told stories that the lake has a false bottom. If you go through the bottom, the old tales say, you go to another world. Some of the old Finnish stories are fables as well, a bit like uh, indigenous stories that we might know. In the oldest Finnish tales, bears and wolves and foxes and ravens all interact and have voices and teach lessons to each other and also especially to humanity, which is always slow on the draw. The importance of our stories to who we are and where we are is something that Indigenous speakers also point out. Indigenous authors like uh, Leanne Beresamosaki Simpson, David Robertson, and Margaret Kovach have all written about how our identities are linked to the stories and the relations that we have with place. Stories tell us who we are and what we are in relation to, the land that we are in relation to. They also tell us where we are and how we are in relation to that land. This spot here is, uh, for example, where in late spring the river floods and you can, uh, you can fish for sturgeon. That spot over there is a grandfather stone where we should leave tobacco, and from time immemorial, it's been where people have asked for permission to be on the land. Uh, you can, I suggest to you that you read David Robertson's uh, wonderful book, Black Water, which is very much about place and about pilgrimage of family to place, or listen to Leanne Beresamosake Simpson's uh, podcast on the CBC, or listen to Chelsea Vowell's podcasts. Teach me a word about hiking in the forest. Patikaretki koivu metsään. Do we have to say it? Say it again because I can't hear it. Patikaretki koivu metsään. Patikaretki koivu metsään. Koivu metsään. Pati. Patikaretki koivu metsään. Patikaretki koivu metsään. Yes. Okay, now get patikaretki koivu metsään. For Finns, too, stories tell us about places. That's what Antti told me. His TV partner is an expert in Finnish myths and stories. And so uh, they will go to a place and they'll film something of its natural surroundings and tell the stories associated with that place. Like the different indigenous nations that span Turtle Island or North America, 
For many Finns, the, the forest is alive. The writer J.R.R. Tolkien, who based some of his Lord of the Rings stories on the Finnish epic tale about forest and land and ocean called the Kalevala, once said that for Finns, quote, Every stalk and stone, every tree, the birds, waves, hills, air, all have well-defined personalities, which the poems bring out with singular skill, end quote. I don't need... This, I don't know if you know this plant. It's the... No. But there are many, many species. Okay. And, uh, and I know the summer thing. Okay. Is, it, is this same? I have not... Uh, yeah, it cannot be poisonous because the reindeers are eating it. Yeah. That voice you hear? That's another Finn I interviewed, Anu Huotari. Anu is a, a real outdoors person. She looks the part, with well-worn hiking boots, a light green hoodie with the name of her nature center, and constantly a knife in her belt. She and her siblings run a place called Haukamaki, or in English, Hawk Hill. One afternoon, Anu came to pick us up and lead us through the woods on a kind of uh, a show-and-tell about Yokamiahan Oikius. The Hawk Hill buildings are just on the edge of Nuxio National Forest, so many of the paths that we took go weave in and out of that forest. I was struck by how the forest and muskeg we were walking through was so much like parts of what I think of as the Canadian Shield. Sarah, my wife, coined a term for this phenomenon. She called it suomalarity. Suomi means Finland, so suomalarity, when you seem to be doing things in the same way as the Finns do. So, for instance, we were, we were driving down the highway, Sarah said, that's moose fence. It has to be. Sure enough, for miles along the highway, the Finns, like the people of New Brunswick, have built a moose fence to keep the animals from being hit by vehicles on the highway. But there are other similarities as well. The forest and the importance of the forest is a big one. When we were with Anu, we could have been walking in the pines near Thunder Bay. Maybe that's why so many Finns settled in Thunder Bay, like my friends Yari and Lisa Lahtinen. Jokamiehen oikeus is a unique right for anyone in Finland to roam, walk, ski or ride a bicycle freely anywhere without the landowner's permission. Of course, except in someone's yard or some other specific area like cultivated fields. You can also temporarily stay like put up a tent in those, in those areas. Jokamiehen oikeus allows you to pick up berries, mushrooms and flowers freely, except for protected plants. Uh, you may fish with a line and rod without any permit, uh, without any permit and paddle or row on a lake or river. This gives uh, lots of opportunities to everyone to enjoy Finland's almost endless forests and islands and shorelines. You do not need to own the land to be able to enjoy it. Uh, of course, with this right comes the responsibility. You may not disturb the wildlife or cause any kind of harm to the nature, like the birds nesting. You cannot cut trees, leave trash, or come to someone's yard. Uh, you cannot use a motorized vehicle without the landowner's permission. Hunt or fish without the permit, except the rod and the line. Jari, what can you tell us about Jokamiehen oikeus in Finland? 
In Finland, land is mostly privately owned, but jokamiehen oikeus, the every man's right, gives you a chance to enjoy nature there as well. It has happened to me that the landowner has asked me to leave. He noted that there are even more blueberries elsewhere. It definitely does not hurt to ask permission if it is possible. Poor language skills might help you. I have learned it here in Canada. You just keep on picking mushrooms. Forestry is effective in Finland. It is easy to find your way in the harvested forest. You don't get lost so easily. Locking roads crisscross everywhere. I have to say that I do love Canadian bush, even though natural environment here is often impassable. You end up panicking in seven minutes. Visibility is close to nothing. My passionate hobby both in Finland and here in Canada is to build birdhouses for golden eyes and mergansers. My nest boxes were usually left untouched in Finland and people were mainly happy about them. Years ago I hung birdhouses up in trees here in Thunder Bay on the shoreline. During the next visit I found out that they had all disappeared. I may have stepped on someone's private property. To my mind, walking pilgrimage always comes up against issues of land use. The writer uh, and thinker, essayist, Rebecca Solnit once wrote that paths are the opposite of ownership. Trails, she said, are the opposite of fences. Paths connect, fences divide. Paths are circulatory. Private property cuts off relationships. A land where people can walk and travel freely is a healthy place. But of course, Real life is never simple. Even Anu, while she was taking us onto public lands and showing us which mushrooms could be picked and eaten, had some ambivalence about public access. She's very pro Yokomiya Hanoikius, but as we talked, it became clear that even though Anu believes deeply that every person's right is important, that doesn't mean she wants random strangers walking straight across the private road or coming near their cabins. That's not what the right of access allows, she said. It's about taking care in nature and being free to visit nature in a limited way. And while uh, Anu knows and believes that uh, everyone has the right, to, for instance, to all berries, she jealously guards the location of her particular cloudberry patches. I attack them first chance I get, she said. When they're ripe, I have to get them to them before other people do. That reminded me of my friend Linda in Sweden, who does the same thing with mushrooms going off the road in a fake spot to throw off anyone who might be watching where she's going. Or in New Brunswick or in Quebec, where certain people never let out where they can find fiddleheads or chanterelles. Every person's right to access doesn't necessarily change our nature. It doesn't mean that all people are created equal when it comes to guarding the location of your blueberry patch, for instance. I'm Dr. Hanna Tervanotko, an assistant professor of religious studies at McMaster University, Hamilton. Ontario. For me, jokamiehen oikeudet means everyone's right to the nature, despite who is the legal owner of a physical property in Finland. This right means everyone can enjoy the Finnish nature, spend time outdoors, for instance, hike, camp, 
ride horses, swim, take boats out, or so on. Also, products of our nature belong to everyone. We can pick mushrooms, berries, and different plants because there is enough for everyone. It's estimated that people actually pick only a small portion of all that for forests produce. Over half of the berries and mushrooms are left untouched in the end of the season. Our jokamiehen oikeudet come with responsibilities. We must not harm the environment, we must not leave there anything which doesn't belong there, and we must respect the landowners, for instance, by not camping too close to any inhabitation. By prote protecting the nature, we make sure also future generations will enjoy it same ways as we do. Pääsiäisen leipä. Is that how you say What is that? Pääsiäinen leipä. But it should, I think it should be Pääsiäisen leipä. Which means what? It's very good. We human beings are just like that. We'll cooperate and share, but we also like to have our space and no one values privacy like the Finns. So, issues of public access always have to come up against issues of public responsibility. There will always be free riders. That's the term that we use for those who abuse systems, who leave, in this case, garbage, or camp too long, or too near someone's buildings, or who swim or fish or make noise or build fires where they're not supposed to. Those free riders make it harder for the rest of us. What Finns and Scots and some others are showing us, however, is that when people are raised learning how to respect and, uh, and to be out in nature while respecting it and other people, there are a few problems. It has taken me a while to understand the complexities of access to nature in Ontario because the rules and regulations are so area specific. I think that everyone's rights just makes it much more simple. And the feeling of freedom is just uncomparable. The climate crisis, if it teaches us anything, teaches us that the world is interconnected, like an old growth forest full of underbrush and life. We can never just shut ourselves into one place and somehow keep everyone out. We're better when we think of the world, in some way at least, as a commons that we all have to treasure somehow together in relationship and to share. If we learn to do that, maybe we're on the best pilgrimage of all, the pilgrimage toward a spirituality and an ethics that is inclusive. This is a written reflection on every person's right, sent in by Ari Virtanen. Ari wrote, When I was a kid in mid-1970s in Finland, all the children of my neighborhood often played in the nearby forest, we had special trees that were designated for different purposes. For instance, Tarzan's tree, I believe it was an aspen, for climbing exercises, and the big spruce for a treehouse, which never was built but was often planned. We didn't really care who was the owner of the forest. That was not important. Forests belonged to everyone. 
grandfather used to take me and my brother for excursions in the big forest where they lived. He showed us some very large rocks that had been moved by the glacial rivers thousands of years ago and introduced us to plants we had no idea about. Sometimes he would take us to see the nest of an osprey in the middle of a swamp. That was very exciting. And then we would stop for a break. Grandmother always packed picnics for us of homemade pula, Finnish brioche, and berry juice made from berries my grandparents had picked themselves from their garden or from the forests or swamps around their house. Later, I learned at school that there was something called every man's rights that allowed people to go to forests without permission from a landowner. I thought it was such a silly thing. Why would we need every man's rights when forests had always belonged to everyone for visits? It took a while before I understood, and some more time before I really began to appreciate the system. That appreciation keeps growing as my life takes me towards new adventures. I live now in downtown Montreal. Not much of a forest here, parks, and Mount Royal. My visits to forests in Canada are organized visits to national or provincial parks. They're prearranged, paid, restricted to areas where all the visitors can stay. We're all looking at the same landscapes, walk in each other's footsteps, and breathe the same air. It's funny to think that my closest forest experience in North America to those childhood memories from Finland is a special half an hour I once spent in New York. I visited the New York Botanical Garden some years ago. There's a small forest in the park. While there, it suddenly started to rain very heavily. Other people ran away. Seeking refuge under a big tree, I spent a moment alone in a forest. Well, sharing the refuge with a small bird, looking out at the Bronx River. A couple years ago, I bought myself a tiny little piece of forest in Finnish Lapland through an organization called the Helsinki Foundation. It's a sort of community forest with several owners or guardians. My plot is big enough for a couple of trees and maybe a big stone. But as the guardian of this little area, I've made sure that the land will always stay as a forest. Open for any visitors that might find the place. I owe that. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know it would make me cry. I highly recommend meeting Anu Huotari and the gang at Hawk Hill. You can find their website in English at www.hawkhill.fi slash en. Hawk Hill. So look up Hawk Hill in Finland and you'll get it. As I've mentioned, you can find out more about Antti Huttanen's nature work at finlandnaturally, all one word, dot com. Finlandnaturally, all, all one word, dot com. And if you have the chance, Nuxio National Park, Nuxio is spelled N-U-U-K-S-I-O, is a gem of nature right on the doorstep of Helsinki. You can easily reach it by public transport. If you go in addition to the trails and the camping, be sure to take in Haltia Nature Center, 
which is a, a kind of interactive museum of Finnish involvement in the natural world. And finally, if you're interested in learning more about Canada and the right of responsible access, look for my article, Why Canadians Need the Right to Roam. And you can find that online. So when a Finn is in the sauna and they want more steam, what do they say? Lulua Lisa. Lulua Lisa. Is that right? Lulua Lisa. Okay, really slow. Okay, maybe if you say... Lisa vettä kiukalle. That means more water on the rock. Special thanks to all those who helped me out with this episode. Thanks to Olavi Hepomäki, whom I called up on Zoom, Jari Lahtinen, Lisa Lahtinen, Sarah Parks, Mario Piltonen, Hille Lahtinen, Dr. Hanna Tervanatko, Heli Peranto, and Ari Virtanen. My research for this episode was funded by the Concordia University Part-Time Faculty Association, and I'd like to especially thank them. Thanks also to James Anderson for my wonderful podcast theme music, and to Gabe Morehouse-Anderson and to uh, Scott Royal for other music. I'm Matthew Anderson, the Staircase Pilgrim. I look forward to seeing you out in nature, exercising responsible access to the commons. And I invite you back to another episode of Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. Bye for now. My name is Heli Peranto and I live in Montreal. I grew up in a small village surrounded by large areas of forests, lakes, mountain chains and rivers for a good part total wilderness in northeastern Finland in the county of Kuusamo. It has always been my joy and entertainment to admire the beauty of nature, observe keenly plants like crowberry or the little arctic star flower, to examine solitary silent rocks on the shore of a deep lake where the old trees fallen in gradually disappear in the depths of the dark water. Somewhat scary to look at, but fascinating at the same time to smell the intoxicating sweet scent of the marsh Labrador tea, listen to the huge humming trees around the hill nearby, while my feet in rubber boots are sucked into the wet moss in the swamp. There's no sound of traffic. This is where I draw my energy from. It feels very liberating to me to be at the mercy of nature, the weather, the seasons, just observing to have no control over that whatsoever. And when stuck in the city, I search for these elements, even if not whole forests, and I always find something, a plant, a butterfly, a bird, that will make me happy and calm, a mental escape. I eventually need to get back to a bigger forest for a total recharge, but these little things that I find in my daily environment make me endure the weight more patiently. I feel that it is also my duty to go and see the forest, the nature, the old friend. We need to take care of each other, and how else would I know what I need to do if we don't see each other? <laughs>